He is risen indeed. If you have a Bible, please open it to uh, Hebrews chapter 9. We have been blessed and ministered to this morning through music and song. Now in the remaining minutes we have, we will uh, hear from God's word. So open to Hebrews chapter 9. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord God, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Speak light into dark hearts. Oh Lord, um, if your spirit does not work and have his way with us, this will profit nothing. But Lord, we know you love and delight to give life through the working of your spirit and your word, and we pray that you would do that now. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews chapter 9, and the text is verses 23 to 28. Hebrews chapter 9, 23 through 28. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own, for then he would have to had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And in this passage, a lot of verses, I just want to focus on three words that appear. It's the word appear. It appears three times. Verse 24, Christ is now to appear. At least that's how the ESV renders it. Verse 26, but as it is, he has appeared. In verse 28, he will appear. Christ appears. Christ has appeared. Christ will appear. We're going to look at the three appearances of Christ. Before we can do that, just by, by some word of reminder, the letter of Hebrews is, is really a sermon, probably best understood. He, the writer calls it a brief word of exhortation. And it's written to people who at one point had a profession of faith, who at one point had, if you will, asked Jesus into their heart or something similar. People who at some point had evidenced faith. And now... Other things were eclipsing that faith. Perhaps in some cases it was the difficulty, the cost, the suffering that would entail if they continued. For others, perhaps they they are hearing rival claims. They might be going back to the temple. And so as you read through the book of Hebrews, the, the writer of Hebrews is repeatedly again and again and again reminding his audience, Christ is better. Better than what? Better than everything. Better than temple worship. Better than what this world has to offer. The covenant he brings is better. His priesthood is better. His sacrifice is better. And that word better 
or some synonym for better occurs over and over and over again in Hebrews. You can't miss it. It's in our passage here. Look at verse 23 and 24 as you look at Christ now appearing. It's necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, for the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. And he's constantly drawing contrasts, and the, the first contrast he draws is that and he's talking to Jewish people who understood temple worship. He understood that there's a certain sacredness you treat buildings and, you know, liturgy and sacrifices. And he says, if, if that's serious, how much more serious is, is the heavenly temple? And if, if there is sacrifice that were needed to cleanse the earthly temple, how much better and superior is Christ's sacrifice? Christ has entered, verse 24, not into the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself. And here's our first phrase, now to appear in the presence of, our, of God on our behalf. Well, one of the things I want to see briefly this morning is the great and amazing salvation that Jesus offers us. We know he, he died on the cross for our sins, and we'll get to that in just a moment in this text, but... The writer of Hebrews first points us to what Jesus is currently doing. He didn't stay dead. He rose. And in rising, he entered into his priesthood. Now, not many of us probably have a grasp on priesthood, but the basic concept of a priest is one who intercedes for men with God. The easiest way to think about it is the prophet stands between men and God for God talking to men. So God would send a prophet to Israel and he would speak for God to men. A priest, on the other hand, is someone who intercedes, who deals with God on behalf of men. And so we have, in the very throne room of God, we sang about that this morning, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, who ever lives and pleads for me. What is Jesus doing right now? He is interceding on our behalf in the very presence of the living God. Yes, you know, with all the, the recent books that come out about people who've been to heaven or whatever, this one, one thing I'm looking at is where's Jesus in heaven and what is he doing? Because Hebrews tells us what he's doing. You want, you want to see that even more clearly? Jump a little further back in Hebrews chapter um, to chapter 7. To unpack, what does it mean that he's, he's in the presence of God on our behalf? Well, in chapter 7, talking again about Jesus' priesthood, we, we see even more clearly verses 23 to 25. The former priests, and again, he's making one of those better comparisons. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, which is to say, they were mortal, they died. There are many. In comparison, though, Jesus is one. But he, verse 24, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Jesus' priesthood is forever. You see how it's better. You don't need a successor. Consequently, verse 25, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. So back to chapter 9, what is Jesus doing in the presence of God on our behalf? Interceding, praying for, petitioning. It's not just that he died on a cross for you. It's not just 
that he bore your sins, but even now he is actively saving you, not from the penalty of sin, but from sin's power, from sin's reign in your life. He is petitioning the Father. You have a priest who is constantly, day and night, 24-7, interceding on your behalf so that you might grow, so that you might have grace. That's, that's what Jesus is doing right now. While we're worshiping and while we're listening to the word right now, there is a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives to plead for me. Secondly, his second appearing, verses 25 and 26, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly that he entered into the heavenly place as the high priest enters holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And again, the the writer of Hebrews is making more contrasts, showing the superiority, the greatness, the betterness of the sacrifice Jesus Gave And again, not being Jewish, we, we aren't used to seeing sacrifices, but if we were Jewish living in this time period, it would be common enough experience. And he points out first the contrast that the priests, the Levitic priests, would bring in the blood of another. The entire Old Testament covenant, you were saved by someone else's blood. The priests would offer someone else, some animal who did not volunteer for the task. And he says, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood not his own. See, those sacrifices that could never pay for sin, the sacrifices of animals had to be done over and over and over and over and over. And if that was the type of sacrifice Jesus offered, he'd have to be sacrificed over and over and over and over. I mean, perhaps even some of you come from traditions that understand what's going on in the worship services, a re-sacrificing of Christ. I think the author of Hebrews would say no. Notice that phrase, once for all. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. You don't get much more clear than that. This is one sacrifice. It happens one time. In contrast to the other priests where the sacrifices happen over and over and over, here is one sacrifice. Or go back a little further in Hebrews to chapter chapter 9, just a little further earlier in the chapter to verses 11. This makes this even more explicit. And, And the reason this is important is we are trusting in a sacrifice of a man, the God-man Christ Jesus. 9-11, for when Christ entered as a high priest of the good things that have to come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling or defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. This once for all sacrifice is sufficient. 
This once for all sacrifice is enough. It doesn't need to be repeated. It, doesn't need, it can't be added to. And he lists alongside this rituals, religious observance. You can't add to it. It's once for all. It's done. It's finished. It's over. To tell us die, Jesus cries out on the cross. It stands finished. The writer of Hebrews, again, writing to people who know this, reminding them because there's a temptation in each and every one of us to want to add to that. It's Jesus and my good works. It's Jesus and my baptism. It's Jesus and I go to church. It's Jesus and I help out in the community. No, it's Jesus. Death on the cross, once for all, or it's nothing. And the writer of Hebrews is emphatic on this point. And here we see that Jesus has appeared to save us from the penalty of sin. So right now he is appearing before the throne room of God to save us from the power of sin. He has appeared to save us from the penalty of sin. And then he brings our attention finally in the last two verses to he will appear. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And again, another contrast. On the one hand, he says it's appointed unto man once to die, and then comes judgment. And the contrast now is not between the priesthood of Jesus and and earthly priests, but rather between Jesus' death and our death. Um, statistically, I'm pretty sure that 100 out of 100 people will die. But we don't like to think about that. But, but every one of us in this room, unless the Lord returns, will die. Every one of us will face death. We don't like to think of that as one of the few topics we really try to push off. And, and what does this passage say? For us, follows death. Judgment. I understand that. The Bible is clear on that. There's, there's people, voices today, no, there's no judgment. It's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. And let me suggest to you that if God sent his son to die on a cross to bear your sins, you aren't going to pass that judgment without him. If you're counting on God's a decent chap and he'll know that I worked hard, well, first of all, he'll know you didn't. I didn't. And second, no, he won't. C.S. Lewis said that many of us prefer to think of God as a heavenly grandfather, some you know, sort of nice old um, person who just sort of hopes the kids are having a good time and here's some candy. We don't understand the holiness of God. Understand that the cross is not the declaration of our worth, but the declaration of the evil of our sin. The cross is, is saying, this is how corrupt you are, this is what has to be done in order for me not to banish you from my sight forever. And on the cross, we look and we see just how bad was it? Jesus had to die, that's how bad it was. And every one of us is facing judgment, heading to judgment. It's coming. It's coming quicker than you'd expect. I suspect that most people who find themselves judged and in hell were not planning to go there. But they also weren't planning on facing judgment as soon as they did. So that's on the one hand, man's death. He says, just as it is appointed for man once to die, and after that comes judgment, so Christ having been offered to bear the sins of many, and now you'd expect if he died, that he went to judgment, but no, because he is greater, because he is 
the Son of Man and the Messiah, when he dies, he comes back to life. That's what we celebrate this morning. That Christ is risen and he is returning. He will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Christ is returning. He has appeared to pay for our sins. He is appearing now to intercede for us, and he will appear to save us, to rescue us, not save us in the sense of bear our guilt, but to save us from the presence of sin, to take us with him to heaven. He saved us from sin's penalty. He is saving us from sin's power. He will save us from sin's presence. And that, that, that of course, then begs the, the important question, how do we share in this? And what do we do with this? Perhaps you've heard this. Perhaps you think this is true, but I can't help but notice that we've got a few more people here this morning than we frequently do. And that's great. We welcome you. We, we think that's wonderful. But what do we do with this? Because it's so easy to sort of mentally tip your hat to some truth and go your way and do your thing. Just keep reading in Hebrews a little further. What do you do with this? Chapter 10. Let's pick up it up in verse 19. What do you do with this truth, with the salvation that has been presented, with the Messiah who has appeared and is appearing and will appear? What do you do? Well, the writer of Hebrews draws a conclusion in, with three lettuces. It's not lettuce, it's let us. All right. Verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, which is to say, since we have so great of salvation, since what I've just written in the past nine chapters is true, Since we have confidence to enter by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. If you believe this is true, if you're here today and you're like, I believe that what you've said up to this point is true, then my, my, my appeal to you is this, my question to you is this, are you one who has and is and continues to draw near to Christ with a sincere heart of faith? The Bible is explicit on this point. We are saved by faith. But the faith that saves is a faith that pursues Christ. It's a faith that goes after Christ. It's a faith that boldly follows him into the throne room of God. Let us draw near, verse 22, with a true heart in full assurance of faith. If, if you believe, if you would say, yes, I'm somebody, I do believe Jesus is who he says he was, and I do believe he died on the cross for my sins, and I do believe right now he's interceding on behalf of me, and I do believe he's coming, then I'd ask you, is your heart described this way? Could you say that you have a true heart with a full assurance of faith that draws near to Christ. If you don't, if the answer is no or you're not sure, I'd invite you now, draw near to Christ by faith. Continue to draw near. Let's keep reading. <coughs> Sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You see, if we draw near with faith, he cleanses us, he forgives us. Your conscience bothers you, he can, he can wipe that away. 
forgive that. Verse 23, what else should we be doing? Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And of course, in the, in the Hebrews context, these are a large group of people who had made a profession, who had at some point become Christians, for lack of a better phrase, and now they're drifting away. And again, maybe there are some here who some time ago, this was a bigger deal in your life. Some time ago, church mattered. The Bible mattered. Some time ago, you cared about this. And since then, things have eclipsed that. Perhaps other truth claims have made you doubt. If, if what you've heard this morning about the work of Christ, if you're sitting there and that's true, then my second appeal to you would be hold fast. Hold fast the confession of your hope without wavering. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's some people here this morning who need to make a decision. You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm not going to waver. I'm not going to vacillate. I'm going to live what I claim to believe. I'm going to act on it. Third, verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. And this is about being part of a local church. Jesus came to save his bride, the church. And perhaps if your walk has struggled, perhaps if you've stumbled, perhaps if you've been wavering, it's because you don't have other people you're gathering with who are considering how to stir you up and to whom you are considering how to stir up. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. Do not neglect to meet together. You wonder, why, why do we go to church? One of the reasons we go to church is to encourage each other. One of the reasons we go to church is that we'll keep believing so that we won't vacillate. I need you, you need me, we need each other to encourage each other, to remind each other of what's true so that when we lose sight of the truth, we say, hey, hey, that way. He's faithful. His sacrifice is enough. Now, of course, there's a, there's a, if you keep reading, let's read one more verse. There's a dire warning here too. That's what we should do. We should hold fast. We should draw near. We should be thinking about how to encourage each other. Or if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God, profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, outraged the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And the reason I read that is that that's the other option. You've, you've heard the good news this morning, that, that God sent his Son to die and he rose again after paying for our sins. And even now, he is saving us. He is working on our behalf. He will come again. You've heard that the call is a call to faith and a call to confidence and holding fast and drawing near and drawing together. That, that's what the response, the gospel calls us to believe, to draw near by faith. Or you can expect judgment and wrath. Those are the only two options. And so I just would encourage everyone here, if, if you know the Lord by faith, 
to, to redouble your efforts, to buckle down, to, to draw near, to continue to draw near, to continue to hold fast, and to continue to gather together. And, and if, if you're hearing this, and this might be something you're hearing for the first time, or you're like, I haven't been holding that fast, make today the day that you do that. Make that today the day that you say, I, Lord, save me. I, I, I don't want to face you in judgment. I want this Savior. I want this salvation. Talk to God. Talk to, talk to me or one of the elders here if you have any questions. God has provided such an amazing, such a rich, such a full salvation. Let us, let us take heed lest we fall short of obtaining it by faith. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, even now as we pray, we are able to pray only because our great Savior and High Priest is in your very presence interceding on our behalf. Your Spirit teaches us how to pray as we ought to because we don't know how we can talk to the living God of the universe. And yet we have the amazing privilege of being able to call you Abba, Father. Lord, let us hold fast and draw near. Let us continue to meet together. Let us live worthy of your gospel and of your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. We have one